we're in from the dark, the pitch black of sound. I think that's the thing. I'm not sure. Empty. Mute. There you go. We're now in live. This is episode 42 of FIA Goes PC. As always, I'm your host, Rebel Zen, aka Danny Hale. And with me, to my left, after quite a week, we've had a hell of a week actually this week, is our producer, Winifred Mott. Say hello. Hello. It's not quite the dark, by the way, because we got that jingle at the beginning. Yeah, we do have a jingle. Mm-hmm. That jingle just comes in out of nowhere. I don't even know who does that jingle. <laughs> I think it's the uh, the ghosts of yesteryear. And on her left, in the far corner, play, I don't know, playing volleyball on his own with uh, the wall, very quietly, with no ball, just in his head. It is my personal best friend in the world, and... Uh, basically here for popular demand and all of these subscriptions we keep getting from him i think we've had two uh this is the unicorn slayer akp say hello hello i'm actually losing this game of volleyball with the wall at the moment yeah yeah I, fun, I, I i did notice mm. the wall is quite a difficult opponent it is yeah never know what they're gonna do they just support the building mm-hmm. it's very very difficult so how are we all we're okay busy week mm-hmm. been uh been intense had a few things not camping. Happen. No, not, no camping. No camping yet. Mm, yes. You wouldn't want to camp here. It's too hot, I know, to yeah. be honest. Even at night, it's crazy hot. Lots of dragonflies, though, I noticed earlier. Yes. Lots of them. They're swarming. I don't think I've seen so many dragonflies in Hong Kong before, but there's a lot. Mm. Yeah. So that's good. So we're all awake. <laughs> it's episode 42. I can't actually believe we're at 42. It's a bit of a milestone. <laughs> Uh, there'll be more along the way, I'm sure. But we're at the 42 mile an hour zone, so that's good. Or, or something. I don't know. It's whatever you want to apply it to. <laughs> but here we are. And, um, well, let's let's go back. We, we This is pretty much the wrap-up of Hong Kong. We finished filming this week. We did a bumper amount of stuff. You've heard about our days out and stuff like this. We did one closer to home yesterday. Uh, part one of a two-parter, but we're going to finish that off when Pete's back in England uh, doing what Pete does, and that is killing unicorns and drinking beer. Yep, so pretty good. much. Yep, 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 yep. The unicorns so, of England are not looking forward to my return. They're not, they're not. Um, or, or along the way. Mm-hmm. And the Middle East and all of the things. Yes, because you, you do get on. lots of unicorns on planes, don't you? You do. Because they can't fly. No, no, they have to take planes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a conversation about unicorns recently. Did you? Yeah. Except it's a Hong Kong unicorn and it's a tech startup. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that one of those ones without the horn yes. that we've seen everywhere? Yeah. Is that like angel investors? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It's basically a startup that has a lot of potential and they call those unicorns. Like billion. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Billion dollar yeah. potential. With a lot, well, he slays those too, Peters. Mm-hmm. He's, he's outright putting his foot down. the stock markets are so rubbish. Exactly, yeah. He's killed all of them. Uh, they they don't really get to start where when Peters are up. Mm-hmm. But that's a nice different interpretation of what a unicorn slayer does. <laughs> so, enough about unicorns. I think we can all move on from there. So we finished up rapping yesterday. We had a pretty good day. We went to see the Joker new film with Wacken Phoenix and directed by Todd Phillips of Hangover fame <laughs> very unusual film for him to do but you could see that that guy's uh, also studied his movies as well because there's a lot of scorsese nods here and there very good film pretty much inappropriate for hong kong right now uh, my, my views the uh subject matter got a bit too close to home at times didn't it yeah a mm, little bit just a wee bit 
hopefully no one was making notes when we saw it because it was a packed out cinema, which you very rarely see here. Yeah, it was opening night. It was, yeah. But on the tail end of that, we're not going to ruin that film for you. If you do get to see it, it's very good. If you're in, into the uh, Batman mythology, you'll probably recognize a few iconic moments in the film. A lot of nods to John Wayne Gacy, too, the prolific serial killer of the 70s, uh, psycho clown guy who started it all as a craze, I guess. Uh, lots of nods to him. Subtle nods, makeup designs, pogo, all of that stuff. But watch the film. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Very, it's very interesting. Whacking Phoenix probably going to get an Oscar, in my mm. opinion, for that. I think he deserves one. Very good. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Good tribute to Heath as well, I think. But anyway, after that, what you don't usually get when you come out of a cinema is almost something on point of what <laughs> you've seen. Yeah. <laughs> and we literally did. We walked out of a mall, and it was quite a creepy setup this was, because it was like probably around 10, 30, uh, something like this. It, it was 11.30. 11 it was 11 close 30. to midnight by the time it was finished. And as we walked out, the mall was empty, because you come out of cinema here, it's always in a mall, and you basically walk out. Usually you see some people sort of around. This thing had completely shut down. On the way into watching the film, we had seen some protesting going on. It felt a bit like communion on a Sunday. Lots of singing. Lots mm. well, someone orchestrating it. Lots of uh, slogan chanting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was someone organizing the thing, and it was just shouting to the crowd like a minister in U.S. evangelical church. In my opinion, it felt like that. Very kind of show right? And all the kids were just... You know, joining in the chant and stuff like this. As I can't understand most of what they're saying, I, I will hold judgment. It did seem like an activity that kids need to do on a weekend. It did feel like there's sort of an almost communal importance to it, a bit like a church. And of course, they believe in what they're talking about, so it is what it is. But we thought nothing of it as we walked in. On the way out, though, that had cleared and behind them was left like a Lenin wall on the floor. You know, these post-it notes with little messages or whatever. And again, you know, you just have to walk through this stuff. But the mall had emptied to the point where it was quite creepy. I kept saying it was very zombie apocalypse, eh, Pete? Yeah. Very, very similar. Everything was closed at that point. It was closed (laughs) and there was no zombies. However... There was like one of the most erratic, happy songs playing on a loop. Yeah, and Do then you know it kept I mean? thanking you for uh, for visiting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it kept cutting out and then repeating. Mm-hmm. It was quite scary. It felt like a weird sort of 1980s horror flick. Um, I wanted to just digress a little bit at the cinema because we saw something that we thought was hilarious, didn't we, Pete? You were laughing more than anything you've probably laughed at on a projection screen ever. And that was... The Hong Kong do not use your phone, do not make any sound oh, yes. musical that they play on oh, before that was the brilliant. film, wasn't it? It was hilarious, it, 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 especially like, as you said, we go and see what is an 18 rated film, Yeah. then you've just got this little animated kind of kids thing that's singing a song about what you shouldn't do in the cinema. Yeah, and apparently you shouldn't play ukulele mm-hmm. or uh, smoke or uh, mm-hmm. smoke something that turns into a thing that blooms flowers it or whatever it was. It absolutely hilarious. It was pretty amazing. And the tagline was in English as well. We had the subtitles for yeah. the rest, but yeah. the actual tagline, they sang it in English. Yeah, it's, mm. uh, it's different. Very different, very yeah. eclectic, but that shows you the, the issues <laughs> that they have here. I will say this. the I think it's going to be an R-rated movie in the USA. I'm not sure it should be. It's definitely not one you should take kids to. I'm just putting that out there. The Joker, it's quite hard hitting at times. I think I think I could see it being a 15 in the UK. 
Yeah, but I think it's probably too lenient to mm. be a 15. It's very, because of the topical nature of it, I'm not going to ruin the film, but mm. there's underlining topics. And it's very cool as a perspective movie, but it's glorifying something that, you yeah. know, it's, it, 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 it's quite intense. Well, it's had it's controversy it. in, in America recently. Yeah. Over... Well, the thing is, multiple reasons it has. Yeah. yeah, I think it's various reasons, but yes, it is pretty hard hitting. The depth of the character may not be entirely understood as well by younger people. I yeah, think. like yeah. The, the struggle. Well, it's it's an intrig. Like if you if you're into if you're into movies, it's an intriguing uh, look as a character profile. It doesn't feel like a comic book movie at any point, and it's neither. It's ne- neither really vindicating or not it's mm. just telling you a very bleak story yeah. todd phillips being the fact that he's only done the hangover considering this is his first move away from comedy it's, he's done an incredible job mm. really has some really really notable things but moving on from that so we're back in the mall very post-apocalyptic thing on repeat i think it was broken it, it seemed like the vinyl <laughs> needle had broke but it was constantly repeating this weird jingle as we got to the uh, train station, we have to leave them all going into the um, West Rail Yunlong station and then go down some escalators. It got a bit hectic then, didn't it? Mm. It was pretty much police banter with potential rioters. Yeah, they were yelling at each other. Yeah, basically. but the place was entirely filled out with riot cops, mm-hmm. like entirely. Nothing physical, but there was a lot of verbal abuse on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Being yeah, thrown I mean, around. We, we, basically, whatever you're seeing on TV in regards to Hong Kong, we walked into the center of that mm. before it basically kicked off, and there was a few moments it got a bit hairy. Mm. The cops especially just seemed to be an intimidation factor. They shone a light on Wynn as we were walking down a thing. I thought it was a sniper scope. So I think it's like, they were aiming for the going Yeah, of course they were, but they didn't care. <laughs> the, the, I think the point to note is the cops didn't care who got in the crossfire. Mm. They didn't care. Collateral damage. Yeah, it doesn't matter to them. So it was a very tense situation. Mm. It seemed to be escalated just in that part of the molar. Like in the train station area? Yeah, because as soon as we got out, um, I mean, we literally went underneath to the light rail, didn't we? Yeah, it was, the, it was fine down the there. light rail station's at the base, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and nothing was happening down there. Nah. So it had all been quarantined sort of in that area. It's an interesting thing to say that because it's, you know, a lot of our theories along this way have basically been there's a lot of things about this that feel amiss. Mm. It does feel coordinated. It feels like a lot of people around the city know about these things ahead of time. Maybe the cops have dropped the note. Maybe the protesters have dropped the note. But it does feel unnatural. Usually when you go to a protest anywhere else in in the world, it's more kind of sporadic. Organic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's no warning. It will kick off. You don't get notes passed through your door and stuff like this. This does feel like a... It feels like a double-sided war that's trying to basically escalate the situation. Like, both sides probably want the same thing. They're just not telling each other. I just felt like the atmosphere was they were egging each other on. Yeah. It really was high school playground. Yeah, it was. But one side was armed. Yeah. (laughs) You know. But we also saw, and this is another thing to note, when you're in the middle of all of this, you also notice, well, I'm going to sub-quote this, press. It's all freelancers. There was a guy wearing a Liverpool top with his phone out, just <laughs> taking films. It's almost like the highest bidder, isn't it? A lot of iPhones. Yeah. Like recording stuff. Very strange. Very strange situation. Other phone models are available for recording protests. <laughs> well, yeah. But uh, just don't go to Huawei, because 
No one wants that uh, protest. Um, you'll, yeah, you'll probably get beaten. Yeah, that's how you stop a protest because yeah. everyone will target you. But um, basically, on the walk out of that, we had to separate from Pete. So obviously, it was nervy. I was more kind of on edge because of the the light that shine on win. And just the lack of care. The, mm. the cop doing it was literally doing it to intimidate people. But it, it's sort of, you, you just don't know. You just don't know if they're just going to get trigger happy or what. It's been strange situation. Like we had that public holiday Monday where the first person was shot. Yeah. And at that you just set into overdrive. Anything could happen at one of these things. So you just can't prepare for it. So mm. all I could really do is throw down the uh, escalator <laughs> in one big swoop. Luckily, wins like a cat. She landed on all four of her legs. She's got four <laughs> legs, everyone. Two arms and four legs. So as she landed uh, in a perfect symmetry, we said bye to Pete. He had to go take his train to a separate time. You you had no issues getting back, did you? No, not there at all. No um, the only thing I did see was there was a guy on the platform right. um, who had his own torch. Oh, okay. Um, that was um, He was shining it as well. Flashing it, so more semaphore than anything. Yeah. Um, but I think there was some kind of code going on. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Obviously, no idea what it was about, but and nothing happened before the train left. Yeah. And so I don't think much happened overnight either, did it? Nothing really. Um, because w- what was intriguing is we actually walked out, and as we were walking into the streets, the entire top end of Yunlong, which is usually open in dribs and jabs, all of it was shut, mm. like the whole thing. So we had to walk back into sort of our side of it. And along the way, we actually bumped into a kid we'd previously seen at McDonald's, 24. Yeah, he was a British guy. Yeah, British, oh, yeah. Yeah. British yeah. lad from South South uh, Yorkshire. <laughs> and he's now working at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant out here. So up, probably up on the road. Up to road. Playing with Gordon. Aye. <laughs> but um, it was interesting because he was saying like um, he'd been walking in the previous clash that had happened at Yunlong. Mm. And they thought he worked for the CIA, apparently. The cops were calling out CIA at him. So okay. The cops were? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of... it. Like I said, there's a lot of weirdness with this. Mm. It really feels like if you put the kids in cop clothes one day and the cops in the kids' clothes one day, it wouldn't make a difference. It's mm. literally the same war going on both sides. Well, you said earlier as well about, you know, Seems like people have some kind of warning. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do have these posters up with dates, don't oh, they? Oh, they do, yeah. But um, it's, it always goes off script. That's the thing that's important. Yeah. And it also seems that, apart from like the major one on Monday, yeah. it always seems that everybody's holding a meet somewhere. Yeah. So you'll only end up with about 30 or 40 well, in each it, one. I'll tell you what it feels like. It feels like the historical, um, how they used to push Christianity into Asia. So when the uh, missions were hidden to Japan and Portuguese were trying to push uh, Christianity, it was illegal to have it, obviously as anti-state. It feels a lot like that to me. Mm. Like the message here is moralistic, but it's different to every single individual. Therefore, it's almost like a, a secret religious meeting that's not meant to happen, right? And the cops are just in to enforce the state law. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a similar, very unusual you know how we're hearing riots and protests? It's definitely not that. All of this is coordinated to a single element or a space, and yet it's rotating. Like, mm. I've never, ever been in a country where you can hear a cop hate civilians as much as civilians hate the cops in a completely high school banter way. Like, it's not like America. You know, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags, four, sir. Mm. This is more like you suck. And then they're saying, yeah, you suck more. And it is like being at a rival football game, which we've pointed out. 
but it's so coordinated. That's you could put the unusual some music thing. to it, and it'd be great. It would be, yeah. Mm. Or Romeo and Juliet, or West Side Story, or anything like this. It's really odd. Mm. And you don't know the schematics. It definitely feels organized. It feels planned on both sides. Mm. It feels weird that, you know, you can ship so many cops up and they're waiting for this. Because what we were noticing at the um, platform is that the loudest rioters were meeting towards the back end of it, almost away from anyone, and the cops were moving them down there. Mm. But there was no line or separation. It was like someone somewhere could spark off a fight and it's going to be good for one of the sides or, you know, it's really strange. So if you're looking for something to invest in, bet on either side. It's it's basically... uh, it's the new UFC of Hong Kong. This uh, I don't think they're taking bets, but they should. Mm. That's how you reimburse the tourism trades that have been lost here. You I wouldn't on. invest in the mask companies either because they're banning those apparently. Yes, whether that will do anything. Well, at they might all just upgrade not. the mask. They're banning the type of mask, but then they might walk out with clown masks next week. You never know. So it is what it is. It's uh, it's very sad, very unusual when you're in the epicenter of it. It's really quite mm-hmm. intimidating. It's quite quite messed up. It was just so surreal, especially after the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. And to come out from oh, yeah. a riot scene into a potential riot well, scene. Well, that's an important thing because some movies get you on edge anyway. The Joker wasn't really that, but it's just the message and the morality within it. It's a bit like Money High Season 3 on Netflix. That has a lot of notes that are very... It's almost like the world is seeing a lot of this stuff. So obviously... TV and film follows, it's very topical. But what actually you walk into is almost like you've just walked into the set. Mm. It was very, very strange. Strange Mm. feelings. But it is... I'm just going to wrap this up so people don't think, oh, God, you guys put yourself in, in danger just by being out. It's not like that. To me and to Pete, I'm sure more us, it felt like a playground fight. Yeah. It felt like on Friday night, I'll meet you at the park, and then an audience turns up. It felt like that. If we'd have felt that it was actually properly serious, we could have turned around and headed back into the mall and gone the long way around. Or we just stayed over and uh, enjoyed our stay a million times because it would have told us on the tunnel. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was it was very, very weird. Mm. Very weird feelings. Uh, so from filming and stuff like this, we can now have an introspective look. We can look back at everything we've done. Our time is running out. We go to Japan next week. So we start season three almost straight away. Yay! Yay. Um, We're going to deal with today as preconceptions, all of our preconceptions on Japan, so that interestingly, when we wrap up Japan, we can answer all of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's fun. It's almost a piece of history that we can look back at ourselves and say, you stupid idiots. (laughs) Yeah. What do you know? (laughs) But um, I think the important thing to just finish off with Hong Kong, it has been... Bar a few nods to this massive issue. We had the worst day on Monday with the traffic being stopped and all of the public transport mm. being stopped. The closest experience, and I knew it was coming. You can't avoid this. We just walked through what could have escalated. It luckily didn't, but it could have. The exact situation you see on TV. Bar all of that, that's irrelevant. You enjoyed Hong Kong, Pete. It's your first time here. It's been absolutely incredible. Yeah. You've been saying that solidly all the way through. So, (laughs) Well, I've loved it. Yeah, yeah. Loved every minute of it. Completely different way of life. Yeah. Complete opposite side of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's been been fantastic. How fast has time gone? Yeah, ridiculously. Well, that's an important thing to note here because obviously if you're busy, even in the UK, we were busy doing Series 1, but... Mm. 
time still moves at a relatively low speed, really, yeah. because obviously you've got a certain amount of time in a day before you can't do anything. Here, however, you don't. <laughs> so essentially, yeah. it's it's kind of a never-ending story, isn't it? And it's weird because you'd think that would mean your days are full. Your days go like lightning. Oh, yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's cool, man. Any of your highlights? Too many to mention, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What will you miss the most? Ooh. I'll definitely miss the food. Yeah. Definitely. Because you can't get it in England. Yeah, Not the same. A, it's a constant. It, it is. Your tassio noodles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it's, right. it, it, it is interesting because there are a few places that get close to some, but it's like a third of what the options are mm-hmm. here. And, you know, it is it is special. You've also made a lot of discoveries because you've been in a unique part on your own. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of cool for you. Yeah, yeah. Checking things out and stuff like this. So cool. So food is a highlight. We've always said, because we had a lot of lists of your stuff that you might want to check out and see, mm. but we ran out of time on a few of those, and it's awkward because of all the stuff yeah, yeah. that's going on. So we obviously said to you, like, you obviously come back and we can finish off your list, but out of the stuff you have done, you've done pretty much, I would say, out of the top ten things in Hong Kong, you've probably done half of them. Mm. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You had a highlight at the peak, didn't you? You enjoyed yeah. that. Did like it up there? Yeah, it's a it's a radical thing. Whenever you see Hong Kong, it's pretty much an association. First thing you'll mm-hmm. see is Victoria Peak. So yeah, no, that's cool. We did good, mm, we and did. we've did some good filming with you yesterday, didn't we, Pete? Yes, good stuff. Can't Life go with too Pete. much into detail with that. Can't one. go into any detail with that. <laughs> exactly, one. but it was good, and yeah. it was different. It's not actually FIA related. It's something slightly no, no. different. Side uh, project. Sort of an in-between, <laughs> in-between seasons, just in case you miss us, all 25 of you that are watching. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, we move on. Preconceptions of Japan. So obviously, we've all got a different knowledge set of Japan. Wynn's actually been there a few times. Only twice, but both were family trips, so I didn't really have a lot of freedom to explore. Yeah, yeah. What I wanted to. Well, we, we've we've got definitely got freedom this time. We've got like a month solid to film season three. It's not a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> as we found out. As, as we found out. Yeah. But we're kind of at uh, Pete's halfway point. So this is actually really cool. Uh, we're setting up on Japan. One thing I'll note is, especially in the last year, Japan has come into prime focus in so many ways in pop culture and all this stuff. It's really quite crazy, actually. I would say that it, in, a, in a sense, it's, it's starting to kind of tag over LA's heels a bit mm. with uh, the world's attention on it. We've got the uh, Rugby World Cup there, yeah. mm-hmm. is currently going on. Yep, still will be while we're there. Yep. We've then got the uh, Olympics, which are coming mm. to it soon. And Next then year. you've got the World Expo after that in Osaka. Oh, so yeah. it's quite incredible, really, because the, the amount of highlights is having a triple whammy of highlights, which mm. I feel like it's just deserved. Mm. But basically, this helps us border into uh, preconceptions. But what I want to say about preconceptions is when you have a preconception, you need to be wearing the right clothes, don't you? Really? Yeah, you do. Preconception clothes? You do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very much preconceived ideas that you mm-hmm. need to be having. So, it, or, it, it, or, or they can get a t-shirt with our preconceived ideas on. Correct. So, it, I mean, it's a it's a t-shirt designed for if you're thinking of preconceptions, or even you want one printed on your chest. You've got to go to Hobo Bait because I'm telling you, their preconceptions are amazing. Um, and I just think, like, you know, as far as t shirts go, you have a lot of novel t shirts, but they're kind of getting stale. They're kind of getting stagnant. There's a lot of channels that are borrowing, you know, Starbucks have 300 mock Starbucks. But Hobo Bait, it's all original. It's all original. 
and even better than that, they've done a nod to our series. They've had a few character t-shirt themes, which we're very thankful for, and they've been our sponsor, prime sponsor for season two, given all of the t-shirts you see us wearing in every episode of season two, which you will find on YouTube. Yes. Uh, it's all from Homer Bay. They're a Hong Kong-based company, part of the Teespring community, and you can go shop to your drop at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash hobo bait and just go crazy because they do everything not just t-shirts everything you know hoodies and stuff like this so just go to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash hobo bait and start your own rivalry is it the unicorn slayer that's going to sell more or is it rebel zen that's going to sell more because <laughs> i want to know and i think pete wants to know oh yes so go to hobo bait now Thank you. So yeah, Japan. I'm gonna ask Pete because Pete's the less knowledgeable. My knowledge of Japan is very articulated by the culture and what I've been raised into martial arts and all this stuff. I kind of know Tokyo from playing a series of games. We call it in the West Yakuza. I'm not even gonna try and butcher the Japanese name, but it's a series. There's been six and also Judgment, Eyes Judgment if you're in Asia. That series is also kind of gives you a map. It's not GTA, but it's like GTA. It gives you a map of Tokyo. So as at least Kabukicho in real life, which is near Shinjuku, I know that area somewhat. And I'm going to do my preconception is seeing what's actually in Yakuza and what isn't. Yeah. I just hope you're not going to be playing the game out as well. No, I'm going to use that as a reference. Mm. So if I need to ask someone where something is, I'll just go up to them and show them a picture of Yakuza and say, I was here once, where is it? As long as you're not stabbing people while you're walking down the street. Oh, no, you don't really do that in Yakuza. No, that's Shoot more them. No, that's more of the uh, life, Set wild dogs on them? It's more life simulator in Birmingham or mm. Liverpool. Yeah. So, yeah, it's different. You actually save a lot of people. Okay. Not. You're not actually a bad dude. You it? can do that walking down the street if you so desire. You can totally do that walking mm. down the street, but you will face sentences. You know, so uh, you shouldn't really go around stabbing people ever, unless it's with a carrot or banana, and that's fine because you can't kill them with that. So anyone who anyone who really wants to stab someone, that use, would be a use really weird complaint. He stabbed me with a carrot. Well, basically, it's that or you die. So <laughs> I, I think it's better that everyone, if they've got a stabbing impulse out there, whatever you are, what if you feel the take, need to carry yes, a weapon, yeah, then make sure you sure take a carrot or a banana. Yeah. Or one, of, one of the two, mm. yeah. Because we we respect our life. I mean, some people are jerks, and you could argue they deserve it, but you don't know. It just may, might be that day. You know, who knows? So, um, preconceptions, I'll be walking around using Yakuza as a guide map, yes, obviously. Uh, the game, you know, not the actual, <laughs> you know... The local location. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Wouldn't, I wouldn't actually join a Yakuza gang. Uh, just to know your way around. Fairly sure I can't do that. Um... One colour uh, uh, of TV. So I don't think I can do that. Yeah, my TV's obviously, you, you got to have a certain colour of TV to do that. Um, but basically, moving along, preconceived ideas. Well, I'm playing a game. It needs a TV. Everyone's looking at me as if I don't make sense. I'm playing you a don't. game. Okay, that's all right. So if I don't make sense, I'm normal. That's <laughs> yes, great. Yes, exactly. So preconceived ideas. My whole thing is I want to see if you can actually walk, if it's possible to walk the entire wards area of Tokyo, so actually get everywhere on foot, because I have a theory you might not be able to, but I don't know because I haven't been there, so that's my preconception. Uh, Pete, you've probably got 500, so we'll start with you. What what do you think? Well, preconception-wise, I mean, as you say, it's not a country that I particularly know that much about, Um, so I am 
going in almost blind, which I, I like. I yeah. like doing that. Yeah. You know, I like it being thrown in my face saying, this is what we do here. Okay. But I hope they do that at the airport. Exactly yeah. like that. Yeah, Let's yeah. welcome to Japan. This is what we do here. Yeah, that'll be yeah, good. Yeah, you're right. That'll be awesome. That'll be, yeah. that'll be different. Be different. I don't think mm-hmm. it will. I think it'll just have a lot of bowing and pleasantries because they're very that's cool it. Most, people. Most of the stuff I've seen is that kind of thing on TV. Super honorifics. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you going into it, everything's honorifics. It's all layer of respect and social yeah. respect. The thing that I've always said to you, and I, this is a preconception itself because I've never been there, but basically the thing I've always said from my observation of Japanese people as well as the country is that it's pretty much like a place where it's what you know. It's more of what you know than here, apart from food and subtle cultures. So when you go back to, say, Shakespeare in England... When we all yes, because have... that's where I live. Yeah, of course. Shakespearean England. I'm just saying, play the mind game because you're a history guy. <laughs> if you go back to that period of history with all the nobility, like noble classes and yeah, yeah. your regal lords and the madams gentry. and stuff, yeah. If you're in that era, Japan is kind of that mm. from the street level up. Of course, you have your old guys spitting on you and punching in the face and all that stuff but you have that everywhere in the world we call them the courtroom jester though so i think japan is honorific it's going to be an interesting society for you nod back to um a lot of respect and i think that's the thing everyone's so thankful and and happy you know like that you walk into a shop there's a mannerism they actually want to serve you and it's part of their job and stuff like this rather than an enforced customer service where you blatantly know what you're doing but they come up to you and say can I help you and you're like yeah you can help me I can't possibly look at the things on your shelves directly in front of me and figure it out it's too complicated for me you know what I mean you'd be surprised well I know I've mm. worked in retail but nine times out of ten people know what they're doing because they're there for a particular reason so it's just an awkward customer service we have in the UK almost an enforced one rather than a sort of a natural one whereas in Japan it's all natural everyone wants to help you out and that's kind of an important thing to say Hong Kong's got that too but it's very um, of the people so people are nice by and large you excuse yourself from all the protests people here will not do enough to help you out and that's an important thing but that's an honest thing whereas Japan is actually honorific so it's it's that's you're going to find that so everyone's really thankful you're going to have the nods and stuff it's just respect we can laugh at it in the UK but if you look at our society <laughs> we don't have any of that really no, you know no so it's it's kind of nice the acknowledgement and stuff like this any other preconceptions you got so you're walking in blind but do you have any thoughts or any notion of Tokyo not particularly i mean you've gone through most of it yeah um you do kind of see that culture in the media mm-hmm. um in films and whatnot um that's a good question. What films have you seen that actually use Japan as a back? Well, I don't think there's any major ones. I think most of it is kind of just a background. Right, right. If you know what I mean. We well, um, had Lost in Translation, which was pretty major. Mm. It wasn't meant to be, but it was. Because it was an indie film, but it kind of transcended yeah. a wee bit. Did you ever see that? I no? didn't. No, no, that. No. Um, but, so, have you got an example of anything you might have seen even with a backdrop? Um... I, I, I just realised the one that I was actually thinking of is Korean rather than Japanese. Well, uh, Japanese. <laughs> but you might as well ask, what was that? Anyway. Uh, lost. Oh, okay, okay, um, yeah. If you remember it, they've Korea. got the storyline with the husband and wife. Yeah, in Korea, yeah. Mm. I think they might have used Japan in that. They might have used Japan mm. from memory. Cause I get a the feeling of... it's a, a similar kind of... Oh, it's not. It's not. No, the way that Lost portrayed it, 
Yeah, it, it's not. Korea is Korea is its own identity. Obviously, I think that no, I know what you mean. I I think like the the construct of Asia is often. And this is an important thing for you, like misconceptions and stuff like this. When you look at Asia, it can be seriously pigeon box. It's very easily to be done like that. There are streets in Mongkot that look just like Tokyo. There are streets in Causeway Bay that look just like Tokyo. It's, it's not by accident. I always said to you, like the rail systems here are exactly the same mm-hmm. or very similar because Japanese sort of designed all of that, right? So everyone thinks it was the British. It wasn't. The Japanese designed all of the infrastructure of that. Well, in a way, we have that kind of reverse thing where people can use European architecture and go like, oh, that's a European yeah. country, like Big Ben. Then they think Europe as opposed to the UK. Yeah, it's yeah. a generalization. Yeah, yeah. But it's important to say this. It's like I had this really good conversation with one of Wynn's friends years ago. I'll give him a shout out, Henry. We discussed exactly this. None of it's by accident. So if you look at history, because you're a big history guy, in the UK we have loads of invasions, counter-invasions, stuff like this. Korea, for 60 solid years, was ran by Japan. So any similarities you can see, which is why I say you're not strictly wrong, the familiar things are obviously due to that. But Korea as an independent culture is nothing like Tokyo. Like, it's just nothing like it. Seoul has an identity that's more Americanization in a whole different way. But they are very proud and very protective of their Korean culture in Korea. So I see it. I was I was literally referring to um with the storyline they've got in Lost, um, with the family based stuff right. that they've got. Yeah. Um in that. I don't mean the entire culture. Yeah, no, 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 of course. No. I understand that. Like I said, there there's always gonna be a similar thing in Asian stuff. Mm. Um but I think that the it's kind of like what I'm trying to do is educate people on the platform because obviously we're not in Tokyo. I haven't been yet, but the the culture is so uniquely different. Mm. When you when you start spending time with it um, and studying stuff through film, through me- media, through whatever, the the cultures are super different. You know, Korea especially has some really unique narratives that are almost more like here. Like, you'll be in a lake with just a fishing platform here, and it'll just be out in the middle of nowhere on a rickety raft almost. That's very Korean, as much as it is here in Thailand and all this stuff. But Japan, it'll be all reformed and more at market and stuff because it's it's kind of a noble culture. I mean, it was under... This is my preconception going in, but I'm guessing that Japan's culture changed quite a lot with shogunate because it's all militarized so everything became regimented and boxed up and mapped out and it hasn't really left that which is an important thing because that never happened in korea or here so here you've got more of a country that was allowed to grow wild like like moss <laughs> growing on the surface kind of a deal if that makes sense korea too but only in 60 years because i had so many pauses mm-hmm. you know world war Two and all this stuff um with Japan, I feel like it's always had that militant kind of look and it worked for 300 years. So that's going to be important, you know, to just understand when you go there. That kind of links to something that I want to share Okay. in terms of my preconception. Yeah. Because one of the things I've been liaising with our Airbnb host. Our landlord. Yeah, our yes. <laughs> landlord. Is uh, the way rubbish is separated Correct. in Japan. Yeah. And it's really quite stringent in terms of they have different kinds of trash cans. They have different days for different pickups. Yeah. And there are fines if you don't use the, the right plastic bag, this, that, the other. 
Um, and in a way, that kind of mentality is reflected in everyday life. I well, think. It's, it's interesting because I think that's the Toko thing, because I've seen things suggested within dramas and animations and stuff that that doesn't happen in farmy towns. So when you get the kid that comes in from Hokkaido, for mm. example, and he's always living in Tokyo as a student, like transfer college or whatever, he's like, what? I've right. got to do all of this separation. <laughs> this is weird, right? And you always see that comedy sequence. That's an important key, though. Mm. Because, you know, when you first told me that, I was like, yeah, we have that system in England. You know, you have to devise, like, there's plastics, there's whatever. Yeah. But this is a whole new level of yeah, that. This is like six or seven different... Yeah. But it's, it's like you can almost see that kind of military grade thing in so many aspects of life. Mm. Entertainment's plotted into age groups and it's stringent. It's not certified like we have it. It's just this was made for that person and this was made for that person. You look at a bento box. We've all seen one of them because they're kind of all over England now. It's a novel thing. So you get this huge thing and everything's separated into like departments. You know, mm -hmm. there's your start, there's your thing, there's your thing you're meant to have on the side and there's your dessert and there's a bit of soup there, right? That is what I'm saying. Everything's kind of carved in society into a military style, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this, the, the thing that's underlining, that's most of Japan. Japan has that order. Throughout Japan, it'll have that order. But some things are stringent and some things are less so. But then you have this metropolis over the top of that. Like one of the world's biggest cities, maybe it is, I don't know, in, in London spec. But it's basically like you got technology reason in that. You just look at how focused their design work has been in technology. Well, that is, that is something that I'm going in thinking it's a world leader in technology. Yeah, yeah. And it's, a lot of people still, like, especially my father's generation, still don't get that about mm. Japan. You know, they still don't understand the innovation <laughs> that it actually is. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how it reshaped the 80s, mm -hmm. you had that post-World War flourish where you said, fine, be creative. And they came up with Nintendo, Sega, Atari. Like, they changed the world, man. Mm. Like, you can't really ignore that, you know? So it's kind of like, look at cars, like Toyotas, Hondas, all of this stuff, evolution. Yeah. And the thing about Japan that's really important is, you know, to us, it seems weird that you just say, oh, I've got myself a new Yamaha bass. That's cool. It's quite a famous bass to play if you're a bass player. But then you see, I've got my new Yamaha keyboard, and then the dude's got a Yamaha motorbike. You know, <laughs> yeah. a superbike. Not, not just a bike, but a superbike. To us, that's like, what? But Sony started like that. Multiple mm -hmm. components and made microwaves, yep. kettles, whatever, rice cookers, and now the PlayStation 4 and most of Hollywood's movies. So mm -hmm. it's like, Japan is quite an incredible story in itself, but it's never lost its own composure. It's never said, I'm going to be something different. It's grown in all of these evolutionary states of technology and all these crazy things and kept its bento box, is what <laughs> I'd say, you know? Which I think is amazing. I'm, you know, I know a lot about the external. I think the ground in Tokyo, when we land, it's going to be almost like, for me, going to Disneyland. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As a grown-up, probably most of my life I've grown up with the culture. And then when you land there, you're like, nah, this is Disneyland now. You know, forget about Mickey Mouse. This is it right here, you know? Well, I was reading something um, to do with the Rugby World Cup, actually, and, yeah. uh, and the mascots. Yeah. Um, but apparently it's a popular thing in Japan to have a mascot for pretty much anything. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, all of the major towns and cities have all got their own yep, mascots. That's true. Um, and it's, it's a massive money spinner. Well, that's, that's the thing you learn in Yakuza games, mm. because these are heavily integrated in culture. We don't have anything like this. Also, yeah, it's not what you'd expect. It's not like furry little creatures oh, and no, whatnot. Oh, no, it's weird stuff. 
it's uh, I can't I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's stuff like Dave the Cucumber. Yeah, yeah, and just the randomest things you can think of. Yeah, well, there's um, one actually in the video game of Yakuza Six where you play a guy called Onomichi, which is in a fake place in Hiroshima. Obviously, they don't use real names mm-hmm. of the cities and towns, so they have to change them. But it's basically a real place. It's um, they've just changed you know a couple of letters in it or whatever. <laughs> But Onomichi as a character is basically a guy who's got he's built up as a mascot from things that are famous in that area. So you got the fisherman boots. Then his clothing it doesn't matter about the clothing. It's just what a fisherman would wear, I guess. Then his head is like an orange because they're famous for orange. <laughs> and then on his head is the ramen dish, yeah. like as a hat, which is the most fa- yeah, which is the most famous yeah. thing. But that's the kind of thing that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. One thing that really was quite incredible, Pete, and you've just made a very uh, something click in my head but when you play yakuza games if you're not open to the cultural exchange that it is because it is it's literally like saying this is japan it's made for japanese people so when it's converted into our dialect like english or whatever it's literally like watching a tv drama that you would see in england right so if you imagine the royal family as a tv drama to a japanese person yakuza's everyday life but heightened and all this stuff. What's important about that is a sense of comedy, the the articulation in the story narrative and all this stuff. If you're open to it, it's one hell of a journey. It teaches you so much about the culture too. But the one thing that the West didn't like the first run of Yakuza was a story. They didn't get it because they didn't try mm. and bury into it. And the thing that I've always found really weird, another preconception, it's almost the world's preconception, is that when animation like Pokemon, which you know a lot about, basically when that is brought to the West, it's dubbed. And mm. so the West instantly picks up that it's their thing. So then you get this, I've said this before to Shaq, I think, when he was on the series, but basically you get a lot of anger in the West about how narratives are going or this thing's going, and like it's made for them, like it's been made in Texas for America mm. or it's been made in London for the UK. <laughs> And it's still Japanese. So yeah. the thing that I find quite hilarious about that is the world's preconception is we're so used to the idea that Transformers is ours that it baffles us when we realize it's not. When Godzilla is repackaged, <laughs> we think it's ours, you know? And that's a preconception. Like when you, uh, I think this is mutes the point of the power of Japanese innovation. When you start thinking Nintendo was just an American thing, because it was advertised. Remember the adverts back in the day? Super Nintendo, it's always American dubbed. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, man. It's like Mattel. You know, the Mattel yeah, adverts. Yeah. For, it's basically that for Nintendo. You get a new zapper and blah, blah, blah. And it's basically this. But. That's still Japanese. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really tells you the difference between brains and how warm the design was at the start, we called it a Nintendo Entertainment System because America called it a Nintendo Entertainment System. That, to me, just sounds like, you know, a DVD player. You know, it's just very orchestrated. But in Japan, it's the Famicom, which is family computer. And it's like everyone can play this, which is the same logic mm-hmm. of the Wii. It's us playing rather than I, Right. It's really clever stuff, man. Like, and I just think that the heart of Japan is lost in translation a lot because we try and implement, oh, well, that, I don't get why you're suddenly walking around in a diaper running down the street like a <laughs> lunatic. I don't get that. What's that about? You don't see the comedy, man. Like, it's because, you know... 
I think I'd find it quite funny to see you running down the street in a diaper, actually. <laughs> yeah, but in the context of the Yakuza, I'm just saying it's a scene. There's a lot of people complain about little things. Mm. Like, they think hostess bars are basically brothels and stuff. And these, these countercultures, like geisha. For years, we had that thought that geisha were like some... We're, it's our entitlement, you know, like we can force ourselves on them. That's obviously come out in stories like Memoirs of Geisha that that's not kosher. But it's just the thing to me that's amazing about preconceptions about Asia is we implement, because we're so used to Asia, we don't even know. We don't even know these things came from Japan or these things came from Korea or, or, or Hong Kong or China anymore. You know, we, well, we, we put ourselves like, into it. I think that's cultural, lack of cultural understanding, really. Yeah. Where you don't really know you don't know. So you assume yeah. you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's fun. It's, it's just like, I think that's the thing, like, I brought a Pokemon to Pete, like, what a global sensation that's been. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, how many people in how many cities and how many places in the world can say, we grew up with that. That's our identification, you know? I think that just shows how universal Japanese storytelling is. Yeah. You can identify mm. with it regardless. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball mm-hmm. is another one. Um, Nod to Journey to the West, which is the origins of it, which is a Chinese story, so inspiration yeah yeah well goku is basically the monkey king yeah in the first series anyway they, they have the same name yeah so. it's well there's a lot more than that it's it's basically a reboot of uh kind of reimagining of mm-hmm. but it's just interesting because like if you see this culture now I, I take my cousins another shout out to will and james hi how are you doing guys uh they're basically in this time it's in a very amazing time to be around sort of 21 or 18 in this day and age because you've got the world at your fingertips now, you, online mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. this. So if you are to actually see what's going on in the world, I think the main teenage demographic to early adulthood is watching nothing but Japanese or Korean stuff right now around the world. You know, So whether they know it or not, whether it's dubbed or subbed, it doesn't matter. It's just like this growing... Like for us, when we grown up, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for now I could argue it's One Piece or Naruto or mm-hmm. something like this. And that's quite an incredible thing, man. That's really quite an impressive thing. Mm. So the preconception I have is I'd wonder how many Japanese people know how relevant Japan is to the rest of the world. That's something that I'd like to test, you know. Like, do you actually know how many people are caring about your country right now? Because I don't think they know. You know, I hope we get that kind of PR in London or the UK soon. You know, where everyone's like, oh, yeah, man, we're really inspired by Robin Hood. What? You know, (laughs) (laughs) you what? I don't understand that. Oh, sorry, I meant chavs. Oh, okay, that makes a lot Mm. more sense. Yeah, Robin Hood. Yeah, I got got you. Yeah, yeah, Robin Hood. Yeah, (laughs) we have a lot of them. Uh, But basically, you know, I mean, we had that kind of thing here with the music scene when it went all Dizzy Rascal stuff. That became a global thing. I know. Don't remind me. I know. But it's, it's interesting to see what sticks around the world. Mm. There's definitely a, a UK call factor, but I think everyone relates it all to London, and then you miss the UK. London is not the same place, you know? Well, on the flip side, we have actually just had the first J-pop band making a world tour, haven't That's we? That, well, we have had, uh, we had Baby Metal, uh, which is like an they're, exported they're, one. Yeah, yeah, they're more, uh, well, they're they're idol, more rock. It's kind of, they're not, <laughs> I would say they're a few, they, yeah, they are, it's incorrect. <laughs> yeah, see what it does to you. Basically, they're an idol group, which we never had the culture of mm-hmm. understanding that, but behind them is a metal band. Yeah, so yeah. it's almost a way to 
show the West what an idol thing, but that must have paved the way to J pop and J Rock mm. to come into the UK to tour. Well, it's, um, is it BTS? Is that right? That's the Korean band. Oh, are they? Yes. Oh, there you go then. <laughs> There's preconception right there. Yeah, they're. I've, a... I've completely messed up. No, that's no, okay, man. Like, like I <laughs> no, said, they are really big now, though. Mm. I mean, but Pete, the the thing is, don't feel like basically saying a platform for you to be humiliated on. I'm saying it because I honestly think you're the clearest person. I've got so many links to stuff. So is Win. Mm. You're the easiest person to get a gauge. Yeah. Because I think a lot more people out there are going to relate to you in this. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are probably going, oh yeah, I thought they were Japanese too. What? I thought yeah. that's the same place. Isn't it all one big kind of muddle? And it's important <laughs> to say this. You know how we mock Americans quite a lot for their geography uh inability yeah. shall we say to be pc <laughs> we're the same with asia do you know that like the, the kind of world has this preconception of asia the world does ah, but at least we can point out asia on the map just the, about the, Amer- the americans struggle to point out europe do you know what i mean i know yeah well they all think it's a big soup anyway yes when i was in uh, international school i had a lot of friends from other countries and their friends back home would be like oh how's japan <laughs> yeah, well, I got that too. When we had the um, the Fukushima, unfortunately, with the Fukushima earthquake happened and the tsunami and everything, I had a lot of people on Facebook when I was on it, like literally blasting me with like, "Are you okay? Is everything all right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, we're like about two thousand miles away from it all." Like, <laughs> but you know, it it just shows you. It's almost like the world is ignorant in stages, isn't it? And then eventually, we're all not going to be. I think the kids now, like I say, like eighteen to sort of early thirties, are a lot more savvy about this stuff than we ever were before. And well, the world's so much more connected it nowadays. Is, it is, but it's also like the influences are becoming known. Like I, I mm. grew up in Andalusia. Quite a lot of my my summers, pretty much every one of my summers, was there since I was eighteen months old. But basically, like back in the fifties, yeah, back in the yeah. <laughs> back in the fifteen fifties. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So what I always the Inquisition <laughs> at that time, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, we asked a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> even as a baby, it's very hardcore. Um, and and a lot of Monty Python sketches. I don't know. Yeah, but, funny um, that. Yeah, it's weird. So back then, like in the eighties, especially Dragon Ball was such a massive thing in Spain. Which really is remarkable because I grew up thinking it was a Spanish thing. I grew up like it. That's the preconception. You always like, you see it where you are, and you're like, oh man, the Spanish mm-hmm. drawing's amazing, you know, and it's all dubbed in Spanish, and yeah. like, oh, this is amazing. I wish I knew what the hell they were saying or whatever. And then eventually, at certain points, you just realize how influenced Spanish culture is by Japan, like big time. And it's remarkable, man. You you know, I think the Spanish always, they were in on it. They always knew this was from Japan. But Japan's always had a special place in Andalusia. I can't speak for the rest of Spain. But I think it's, like, been the most direct import they had because it was cheaper to get stuff from Japan than it was to, say, get our taxes on, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They had that, but it was less of a big deal than, say, Gundam or whatever. And that's what blew my mind, man, growing up and seeing... Wow, you know, because it took so long for the UK to get anything like that or near that scale. Mm. I think the first thing we had was Pokemon. To be honest, we had a, a yeah. we, we had a few little things that you didn't realize: mm. Japanese City of Gold and Ulysses and stuff. But they were cross productions with America. But yeah, so the preconception is it's an interesting thing. If you're talking the ground up, I mean, we've hit a lot of curves with the Korean mix-ups, and I think it's important to say. It it doesn't make you look dumb thinking that or anything because I think it's a really easy mistake to make because Korea's come out of nowhere. 
mm. you know, Korea in the last 10 years especially <laughs> has come out of nowhere. And the K-dramas really took off. Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, the Korean movies were winning loads of awards. Yeah. Park Chan-wook yeah. as a director, mm-hmm. you know, Kim Ki-duk and all this. You you had a lot of access. Tartan Extreme, do you remember that line of yes. world cinema? Yes, Tarantino started that. Didn't yeah, you? well, Tarantino was instigated into the Hong Kong style. Tartan was actually a Channel 4 thing. Right, right. But basically they had like loads of festivals and then it was the UK sort of covered it. Tarantino did a uh, Tarantino Presents line. Mm-hmm. Mostly Chinese movies, actually. And a few nods to Japanese uh, stuff. But it's important to say, like, the Korean movie industry, especially in the last 20 years, really has become a top 10, you know, film role. It's mm-hmm. it, like out of nothing. That's insane. It's insane. Japan's always had a steady flow. Always a steady flow. But Japan used to, and this is an important thing in preconceptions. Again, someone's going to tell me when I get there. But when you look at Japanese cinema, classically speaking, Japan was in the top three filmmakers of all time back when film started. So you had, Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you had uh, Akira Kurosawa stuff was infamous. Yeah. In Hollywood, they stole everything that he did and turned it into a Wild Western movie, you know. <laughs> That's the infamy. It's not him that's infamous. Then you've got like Studio Ghibli, obviously, the animations coming through the 70s up to now. Mm-hmm. They're as big as Disney yeah. globally. Mm. So they've been bought by Disney now, mm-hmm. which is weird. And Miyazaki's just coming out of retirement to do something else. He got bored. <laughs> he's, he's too busy planting stuff. He's like, I got to do something with my life. But um, basically, what I'm saying is like, it's gone from the heyday where it was original stuff created some of the best TV shows, long-lasting TV shows of all time. Zaitouchi is one of them. Based on books and and theories, always adapted, essentially. But now it's all live-action version of anime. Because anime in Japan is the platform of their greatest export in media. Well, even manga. Yeah, yeah, manga, manga, anime. anime. Sure, sure. But that's the that's the 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 route it takes. Mm. But when you think that ma- uh, so animation in Japan has only really been going post World War Two, it's just before Disney, okay, mm. and it's been going as a commercial enterprise since the sixties mm. with things like Astro Boy and stuff like this. When you look at that now, it's globe conquering. You say to anyone in the street, all right. Pop culture, it doesn't matter what age. I mean, if they're 80, they're not going to know what you're talking about or they'll ask you to help them across the road. But we're talking our age range, okay? So anything from 13 to sort of 30, let's say. If you ask any of them, all right, Japan, what are you thinking? Mm -hmm. I think the pop thing they'll say is probably animation, Korean boy bands, that Pete said, (laughs) or or sushi. Yeah, yeah, sushi. Mm. Ramen. I don't think people know ramen's Japanese. I honestly don't. Really? I'm pretty sure they don't because America doesn't. What? Well, because in America, it's Koreans doing it or because it's a Korean culture too. I mean, noodles is... It's very, it's very... And this is an interesting thing when you go to... Well, ramen actually comes from the Chinese words lai mian, so they share a lot of things. Well, yeah, the the culture of the noodle comes Mm -hmm. from China as a lot of things do in their original form, but... Here's the thing, right? So I've seen a lot of cooking shows. Their preconception of Japanese food is hilarious to me in America because they Americans like to almost uh, gentrify food. They like to mush it all together and say this is Chinese or something. And lob cheese on it. Yeah, if it's got pineapple, it's Hawaiian. Just call it Hawaiian, you know, whatever. But you watch these cooking shows with actual, you know, Korean natives, Mm. you know, second generation chefs or whatever. They're they're American for sakes and purposes, but their families are Korean. 
their education has been gentrified in food. So, yeah, they've traveled to Japan. Some chefs have, and they understand the difference, but they still don't understand. This is a Japanese staple that's been going on for about a thousand years. It's not new. It's not modern. It's like the language. We might have heard the language for the first time today, and it's new to us, but it's been going on for 6,000 <laughs> years, kids, you know. And the thing about America is it's a uniquely beautiful and innocent thing that their minds don't work in a way that they can separate. They like to bring things together. That's the fusion of America. It's cultural. They like to make it theirs. Yeah. Yeah. But ironically, ironically, the Japanese like to do the same too. Mm -hmm. So if they get anything like Dennis, which is a famous brand, and I've said this five times on the podcast before, but Dennis is a huge dining brand in America, like late night diner, 24 seven breakfast place, lunch place, whatever. Dennis in Japan is Japanese for sakes and purposes. It's the same brand, same name, same this. They do American stuff, but the Japanese menus and everything is completely theirs. So whatever you see there is very Japanese, which I find fascinating. They're the only nation, I think, that are that good at sort of um, bringing something in and adopting it into their culture apart from the USA. And the links that the countries have, being it turbulent and all this stuff, it's really interesting to see how they've evolved to do the same thing. You know, Japan works heavily in corporations. Mm-hmm. So does America. There's a lot of links. You know, it's it's interesting, man. But what I was saying about the ramen thing, Korean ramen is almost like, uh, you know how you got Wagamama in England, which is like a fusion place, right? It's your favorite restaurant. It's, it? uh, yeah, definitely my favorite restaurant to no. avoid, to avoid like the plague. <laughs> but basically, just to give you a uh, mild breakdown, because we haven't really handled any pure preconceptions, folks. <laughs> Sorry about that. But basically, I think we've dealt with the topic of preconception pretty yeah. well. But ramen is basically something in Japan that each region of Japan, it's like Italy with pasta or food. Germany each, with their beers. Yeah. <laughs> each region of Japan. And there's a lot. Okay. But each region of Japan, there's states and provinces, but there's cities too, that has their own identity with a dish. So okonomiyaki, which we discussed before, is like ramen. So the sauce is different, like this soup, I should say. The soup base is always different in each region. The type of noodle might differ. The toppings definitely will differ. And Tokyo, the Canton region of Japan, Kanto, is shoyu, which is a soy-based ramen stock. Now, if you say that to a Korean... They don't have a clue what we're talking about. To them, it's miso, chili miso, pork bone, chicken bone, or whatever, all in one place. There's no distinction or division. Because in Korea, it's kind of like here in China, we're emulating from something we don't fully understand. Like a carbonara is not an Italian dish. It's an Italian dish that was made for American GIs during World War II because they didn't have anything for breakfast for them because they don't work the same, obviously. And these dishes are built... Lost in translation, always, never authentic. Or not evolved saying evolved by context. Sure, mm. and I'm not saying that a guy from Korea doesn't get that, especially if they've been to Japan. Of course, they get that, but they're not serving that. So Korean style sushi to Japanese sushi doesn't have the stringence or the or the uh, intensity behind it of historical sushi making, right? But it's still good. That's what I'm saying. It's like when you had that beetroot sushi. Yeah, yeah. it's like an evolution. Like like, they, they can have fun with it. Yeah, yeah, they can, they can play with it. But in Japan, I mean, you do 30 years of rice making before mm-hmm. you can be a rice guy packing us. You know, yeah. just watch Jiro Dreams of Sushi, guys. It's out there somewhere as a documentary. You'll see what I'm saying. The identity of food in Japan is something that is definitely a mis- misconception around the world because it's so different. So different. 
Same here, though, as you pointed out in Hong Kong. Same thing. I want to cry when I see sushi in Tesco in England. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I just want to... Oh. Well, there's gradients of gee whiz, that is the worst. Like, for example, you have similar things in gas stations in the USA. I say petrol stations for the English guys before Pete quotes me. But basically, you will have, like, the worst sushi in 7-Eleven, say, in America. The worst. It's just plastic and grim, okay? In the UK, though, because people are weird about raw fish as a construct, so you have smoked salmon, and then everything, that's the rawest the fish gets, smoked salmon. Everything else is basically canned tuna in a mayonnaise. You know, it's like stuff we know, like... Uh, Cream cheese. Or beef, like barbecued beef or pulled pork or something. Yeah. Now, if you're Japanese, you might think that's really cute. They're, 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 they're playing. They're, they're, they're kind of fun. That's like seeing McDonald's, you know, not do a teriyaki chicken burger. But that that's crazy. Well, I think they look at it and go, oh, that's great that they're open to the idea of sushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's teriyaki is interesting. Maybe they'll try it one day. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they know what they're... You know, or they just laugh at us, you know, like thinking yeah, we're probably. so funny. You're like, oh, Monty Python, ha, 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 makes sense. Um, but basically, you know, I'm just saying, like... <laughs> But even in America, you know, I've had the fortune of having a lot of Japanese contacts we've worked with over the years who are my mates and stuff now, forever. Uh, but we've gone to a few sushi places there, and it's so disappointing for them. You know, mm. like, it's not real nori. It's like a fake soybean elastic band wrapped around it. Yeah. It's packed like a four-year-old did it. Like, everything's chopped wrong. You know, it's you really notice it. Now, to me... I can say that being European, that's like having a pizza that's really bad. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you can have some really gnarly pizzas mm -hmm. and they're just not right at all. Like you go out here and they're covered in mayonnaise and, you know, some kind of shrimp <laughs> cocktail. And you're like, what are you doing? What are you doing, you crazy people? Yeah. But, you know, culture's like that. Traveling food is like that. But it really is quite an intricate. And I think you're your mind is going to be so educated to Japanese food when you come out of Japan a lot of people are terrified when they go there because they're like, oh, I'm going to eat, like, things that are going to kill me, blowfish that are going to poison me, octopus that are going to strangle me, yeah. something like, you know. <laughs> food, well done on remembering it. that. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I wouldn't. But, um... <laughs> you will well, if I force you. <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't because it's, it's like a grander plate. Like, it's a very expensive thing to eat. We'll film it, stick it on the budget. Um. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wynn's just left the room now and she's going out to get the pump action she's shotgun. She's going to commit Sudoku. No, no, she's, uh, she's, you're going to commit Sudoku in a minute. That's a lot of numbers on a page of uh, whatever. We actually had a, this is a great preconception, we actually had a theory that seppuku, which is the way to... Ritualistic suicide. Ritualistic suicide, suicide mm. after a samurai clan's been let down by whatever dishonor that you've caused, has currently become... The PG era Sudoku. Mm -hmm. So you're basically driven mad with maths instead. Yeah. Which is, I've dishonored you, family. I'm just going to do Sudoku for the next 15 years. Yeah, because we, we were talking about, uh, I was talking about Kumon, which is yeah. the way kids learn math, which is kind of like the bento box of maths. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Everything is. But just look at Origami. The story there is like, you know, you got paper, you make toys for the kids to show them up in Shogun era. It's, it's just mm -hmm. the brain in Japan has mm -hmm. always been innovative. It's not new thing. This is something that's always been there. Just to close down the food thing, though, I have nothing to give you because we haven't, we've not had the time to go to a ramen shop here. In fact, I think the chain I was talking about doesn't exist here anymore. But 
there's some places you go here and it's very cheap and it's cheerful and it's a tea set or whatever and you don't get and it's more Chinese than it's obviously but basically sushi and things like this I always say to anyone out there don't be afraid of it because these things are the things that will change your life when you try it's just like we never do a good interpretation of something that's a classic you won't get a decent fish pie in Hong Kong kids <laughs> you won't get a decent full cooked English breakfast in Hong Kong and it's funny because our greasy cafes in the UK do the best mm -hmm. English breakfast and they're the cheapest. They're the cheapest ones you can get and they're the best because it's there's no yeah. frills. It's just honest, you know, mm -hmm. whereas in Japan, that would be the same of a ramen store. You wouldn't even know it. If you're English and you go to Japan, you're going to go to the things that you can translate. And that's always a tourist trap. So like going, it's going to London and eating at Piccadilly Circus. That's a preconception. It's like um, when our friends went to the pub and had fish and chips. Yeah, and that's yeah, not yeah. really yeah. a fish yeah, exactly. and chips experience. It's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. And and you know, like you go to France, you get a baguette from a, a supermarket. Yeah. You don't get it from a bakery, bakery down the road. The point is, like in Japan, you unless you a know the culture, b can read any of it, or c have a local friend that can tell you, you will skip all of the real stuff. You'll go to the tourist. It's like I said, Piccadilly Circus in London. You won't get the best London experience of food there, you'll get rubbish. It's the worst. And that's why everyone's like, oh, the, these British people don't know how to cook. When they go back to America, they, they just eat, yeah, you know, they don't know, <laughs> whatever, I tried that fish and chips and it wasn't any good. You know, you get that, right? Whereas if we said, hey, mate, you're doing it all wrong, here's the fish and chip place, then mm -hmm. never look at it because it looks like you get mm. your organs sold there, you know. Yeah. Black Country Museum. Loads Best of, fish and well, chips I mean, I've had. Loads of places mm. by the beach, Brighton, Pierce, mm -hmm. like Dorset, all of these areas have some serious business doing that. Like, they're refined, though. Like, I'm talking you're just in, say, Birmingham Centre, and mm. you'll go to a random after you, where you get a kebab from, Pete. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> At four in the morning. Yeah, but that's yeah, yeah. the best in the world. Man. Oh, yeah. That's like that's a whole new level of awesome like the indian restaurants in england the mm -hmm. spark brook and stuff where you bring your own drinks and stuff because mm. they don't have a license that's the best one yeah and it's we actually so... invented half of the dishes in birmingham exactly. yeah, so let's course. call it indian food it's a little bit literally did invent a dish yeah, yeah. in birmingham the balti dish yeah. yeah but if you think about and this will be the closing but if you think about preconceptions it's as easy to think this we all are sort of subjected to the pop culture and the history we can research on our phones these days right in our language yeah mm. it, it could have been books when we were kids it's now phones yeah. but if you think about just with food and this is a really good analogy for the bigger picture culture especially if you think you go into tokyo and go into say big joe's wild western ramen shop or whatever it's going to be called something you can translate just by a click you know like jimmy wren's steakhouse or something like this just because you know what it says, you walk in there, that's a tourist trap. They know that you know what it's saying, but the locals never go there. So the test of any place, if the locals go there, it's legit. And the best ramen you're going to get is when you see a stall pulled up on a cart and it's got a tent kind of a look, like a half of it's covered in cloth. You sit down on that and you'll have the best ramen of your life. That's the places that you go to. Basically, the places that I have to translate all of the... Uh, menus here yes yeah. exactly you know? exactly yeah. but what i will say kids is on the same note there's certain things that it doesn't apply to for example if you think the best hostels in europe are the ones that basically look like you're going to get murdered in i would say 
you probably will get murdered in them. So it only applies to certain things. Always make sure that if you're traveling, make friends with someone that's from that area or go to a host or get a translator or join a tourist group. They will always guide you well. That's my little traveling tip. Be adventurous, but also be safe. Yeah, don't be stupid. <laughs> I did note this is about food, and there's obviously some places that if they're low-ranked, like a Z-mark in health and hygiene rating in Los Angeles, you avoid them like the plague, because even the rats do. So on that note, preconceptions, we haven't had many. But what you're going to find is that we're all going to have quite a life-changing experience, I feel. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Wynne's gone there. She's experienced the ground, but she remembers nothing. She's a bit like a fish with a sieve for a brain, so that's <laughs> fine. Pete's gone there half expecting that he's going to have time in Seoul, uh, so that's interesting. <laughs> and you're armed with a map from Yakuza. Correct. And to quote, <laughs> yeah. and to quote one of my best mates in Japan, Miho, give you a shout-out. You might not be listening because you're a busy, busy, busy actress. But if you are listening, I'm the equivalent of most people's granddad in Japan because I'm so old school with my knowledge. Mm. So there you she go. She did say that about you. She did. And many others have. <laughs> so I'm your granddad from Japan, folks. And on that note, next time you hear us, we'll be live from Tokyo. Isn't that amazing? So that's enough. We've wrapped. We're done. Season two is in the bag, so to speak. And Ooh. we move on to series three. That's enough from me. That's enough from the lad over there who's Hello. staying mute. There he is. Sorry, goodbye. <laughs> I forgot where it was. Sayonara is more accurate. Adios. We will see you next time. Over to win for the wrap-up. Subscribe to FIA Gets Tubed on YouTube for access to all Project FIA episodes and extras. As you know, you can find our podcast on all the major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and SoundCloud. Ask us questions and drop us your comments via email. Our address is projectfia.rebelrated at gmail.com. And of course, we are also on Twitter. Our handle is projectfia.rebelrated.